Uh, no, we're not talking about those who are in uh, preparation for college in the prep high school. No, we're not talking about those preppers. We're talking about the people who are doing everything in their power to, to prepare for the worst possible outcome in the United States. There are people all over this nation that are storing up guns, bullets, food, clothing, literally, as we sit here and worship in here today, there are people that are preparing uh, hundreds of gallons of water in case some disaster happened today. Be it a nuclear attack or yet uh, some other type of civil war that will cause our nation again, our nation of laws to become unhinged. And again, as you can imagine, they store and prepare for all these things, you know, water and food and weapons for years to come. <laughs> Are you ready? But in addition, they have these bunkers, these bunkers <laughs> in which uh, they have lookouts currently making sure that no one can find their location in the woods. They have traps uh, so you try to go one, near one of those things and you can be in deep trouble. They have convinced family and friends to join them in their quest for the survival of the fittest. They believe that once our nation finally heads down this path, there will be no stores. I mean, come on. If everything shuts down, where are you going to get your medicine from? Where are you going to get your, uh, your gallon of milk? I heard on the news this past week that in Alaska, a gallon of milk costs $10 today. Today. Ten bucks. Where are you going to get your bread? At least I can say in our household, at least we know how to plant a garden. Amen. There's not going to be any police. There's not going to be any army uh, to come to you, come to your rescue when you get in trouble. Who are you going to call? Again, some preppers think uh, that uh, these troubles will come uh, within our nation while others believe it will come from without, outside of its borders. Regardless of what we may think of them, uh, the fact remains they are making serious preparations while also warning others of this probable danger. Today in our passage here in Mark chapter 1, there is another one that's calling out and crying out, making a different type of preparation. From him we're going to see his message and we're going to hear his story. A voice cries out from the past. Uh, there it is. A, a voice cries out from the past. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, 
Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will, here it is, prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So there is a call made in the past by the prophets, uh, which has come alive again. Uh, so that voice from the past has now come alive again through another godly person. Here we see, if you are very astute and you, you, you look in your passage and you see this, uh, it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And since I know that you know uh, what I'm preaching on from basically Sunday to Sunday, I know that most of you very astute men and women of God that you went ahead and read that passage ahead of time. Amen? Yeah, I hear that. Boy, that was weak. So for those who are very astute in Scripture... You looked ahead and you said, Pastor Spencer is going to be preaching from here. And I made it uh, here to verse 2 and there's a problem. There's a problem in Scripture. And you know, when you think that there's a problem, I never want you to ignore it. There's a problem in verse 2. You're like, well, what are you talking about? Why would you be preaching talking about there's a problem? Let's read this again, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, you see the quotes, everyone see the quotes, right? Amen. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Please turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Take a look. What do you see? Okay, we see uh, a parallel here, right? So uh, what it says in the Gospel of Mark, it says that who said this? It said that Isaiah who? But then when we make the comparison, we look in Malachi chapter 3, and who actually said it? The prophet? So there is a problem, we think, amen? There's a problem, we think, in Scripture. But I submit to you that there is no real problem here, amen? The Gospel of Mark quotes Isaiah the prophet, but here it is. He does so uh, by way of Malachi 3.1 which is another preparatory statement on the way to that quote. All right? Uh, so this Malachi uh, quote here in verse 2 is a preparation for verse 3. So verse 2, again, is actually a quote from Malachi. But again, why does Mark seem to credit the whole thing to Isaiah? If anything, we can understand that, uh, that the Malachi quote as a statement, here it is, it is a statement uh, about John the Baptist's 
all ministry and purpose. In other words, by whose authority does John the Baptist have in order to boldly uh, proclaim the things that he's saying? So in other words, he is saying that uh, the very message that I have to announce to the world today, uh, that it is God who's given me the lungs, the power, the mind, the wisdom, the spirit to say these things. So here in Malachi, it says, and also Mark uh, 1 and 2, Behold, I send my messenger. So this right here is a statement about John the Baptist. You get it? This is a statement about John the Baptist. We remember that this gospel, and we heard uh, last time that this gospel, that it is the person of Jesus Christ, verse 1. You remember that we memorized this last Sunday of uh, the beginning. Come on, recite this for me. Close your eyes and recite uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. Let's go. The beginning. You guys are great. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? And we found out last time that uh, what is the gospel here? The gospel is Jesus Christ. Amen? So now here in, in verse 2, that here is a comment, a comment from, from Mark basically saying the way that he's viewing things, that this is a comment about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist now is a fulfillment of scripture which simply cannot be ignored. This Malachi quote is not a mistake in scripture about a calling to the attention of the work of God through John's ministry that would announce Jesus. However, it is very important, go ahead and turn back to Malachi for me, please. It is very important to see that the ministry of John the Baptist only fulfills a portion of the prophecy. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of, uh, of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of, of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. But here, back Mark chapter 1, verse 2, all we get is, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. That's, that's all we get, and then it stops. So even though John the Baptist has come forward and Jesus entered the earthly scene, there is a break until the next part of the prophecy is fulfilled according to Malachi. You get it? So in other words, uh, 
if you're discerning, you will uh, quickly see that what has happened is that, uh, that John the Baptist has come onto the scene, right? As a fulfillment of the scripture. Amen? And then everything stops right there. It's a period or an ellipsis. Dot, dot, dot. So, well, what are you talking about? Oh, Pastor Spencer, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with all this stuff. Uh, let's turn back again to Malachi 3. Uh, same place. Come on. Uh, let's look at it again. Uh, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way uh, before me. Stop. Pause. So the next time the rest of this will be picked up, we know about that Jesus that he came, but the next time this will be picked up, you will see in the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? So in other words, what Malachi is saying that when Jesus Christ, when he finally comes and does his thing, that judgment will come upon the earth. Malachi 3 verse 5 we must not ignore this look at it then I will draw near to you for judgment so in other words what has happened that the messenger has come to prepare the way for the Lord John the Baptist and then stop so right now guess what you and I are living in the ellipsis right now you and I are living in the ellipsis Time in which we know that John the Baptist, that he came and, and he fulfilled uh, the scripture according to Malachi. And then he introduces Jesus Christ onto the scene. And Jesus Christ comes into the scene uh, to come and save all. And he's saving all today. But the judgment has not started yet. But you see, when Jesus comes back, then the rest of that scripture will begin again. Amen? So right now, we are living in the ellipsis. We are living in that time in which God's grace through Jesus Christ is being poured out on all humankind. So all I can say is, thank you, Jesus, for the ellipsis. I know some of us, we want him to come and come soon. But God said in his word that I desire that no man should perish. God does not want to see people go to hell. As much as we are so quick to say you're going to hell and you're going to hell, God says no. Why do we put people in hell quicker than what God does? Why is that? God continues to allow people to live in such a way that they can experience his grace through Jesus Christ. So if God has such compassion, why don't we? Oh man, oh woman, who are you to judge? For thou art without excuse for the very thing uh, that you basically judge others, you are doing the same thing. We should have the heart of Christ. This reprieve is a, is a delay by the Lord in, in issuing judgment on the earth. We are living in that gap. 
provided by God. But things are not getting better. Things are clearly getting worse. In one sense, the Lord has hit the pause button on his judgment. And people somehow take this to mean that because you keep talking about Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming, he ain't ever coming because he never existed because there is no judgment. You see, they are mistaken and they don't understand that they're living in a time in which God wants to give them that grace. So John the Baptist is this messenger. He is the prophet of old who has come to announce the coming of the Lord. Now in verse 3 here in Mark chapter 1, Isaiah the prophet now speaks. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In verse 2, the prophet is seen as preparing your way. And then in verse 3, he heralds to prepare the way of the Lord. It is in the book of Acts that believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are first called people are the way. Did you know that you are people of the way? If you believe in Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we see here a connection between Jesus and his people, his disciples. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are of the way, amen, which finds its roots dating back even before the incarnation of Christ. So a prophet emerges loyal to God's call. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Has anyone in here ever eaten grasshoppers before? Anyone? I'm sure. That'd be one, like, really out there person in here. Anyone? Who's... I, where's Brother Cleveland? I bet he had them, right? See in here? No. I, I bet she probably had. God provides for us a glimpse into an important ministry of John the Baptist. In verse 4, John baptized in the wilderness and announced that baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, right? Announced the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So wait a minute now. So if John the Baptist was baptizing people for repentance, right? Isn't that the same thing that we're doing today? The same thing that, 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 that John the Baptist did? So then what is the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism which Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 28? Well, the Jews advocated a baptism that was 
synonymous, it was the same as ritual cleansing. In other words, uh, you just wanted to be cleansed before you go to church or cleansed at the beginning of your life so you would be baptized. Not necessarily uh, in, in the complete immersion, even though that's what baptized mean, uh, but you would be sprinkled, you would be baptized. Whatever the availability of water was, you received that. So in other words, by the washing on the outside, you were thinking that you were being washed on the inside. But people who were truly mature in the faith, they understood that this was works-based faith. Because we know that baptism does not save. Amen? You may have been baptized, but the question is, have you really placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You see, a baptism without faith in Jesus Christ is doing nothing but taking another bath without soap. If you were baptized without a saving faith in Jesus Christ first, all you did was take a bath. Or, depending on which tradition you're from, maybe you got sprinkled with water. Now, he heard that. So, uh, typically, most Jews, they were baptized. They, it was part of their, their MO, their mode of, of operation. They were baptized. So, when John the Baptist came to the scene, and he would tell them, you know what, uh, yeah, you all need to be baptized. They looked at him like, this must be some kind of fool. Doesn't he know we've already been baptized? This was an insult. This was an insult to all the Jews to have thought that they had been baptized to come and be baptized again with this ritual cleansing. Because to them, the only one that would do it at this particular point in his life were Gentiles. And they didn't want to be anything like a Gentile. So, uh, so the fact that John the Baptist came onto the scene uh, saying that you need to be baptized for repentance, the Jews would look at this and say, this fool is crazy. Who does he think he is? I don't need to be baptized. How many adults do you know that they thought they believed in Jesus Christ when they were younger and they really didn't? And you tell them that you really did not have a saving faith and you need to be baptized again. How many adults do you know are insulted when you make that insinuation? I've heard it before. I've heard the adults say, I was baptized as a child. I asked them the question, but did you believe when you were baptized? I'm like, no, but it didn't make a difference. I'm saying, but it does make a difference. Then they tell me, well, who are you to judge? I say, I'm no one to judge, but I know what Scripture says. Baptism without a saving faith in Jesus Christ, first, is nothing but taking a bath. John the Baptist, however, advocated a baptism leading to repentance before the great uh, visitation of the Lord, that great day. And again, even this, within John the Baptist, this right here was different. Because he was calling a nation, Israel, who had strayed far away from Yahweh, they had strayed far away from God. So remember that uh, this is what John the Baptist had in mind. John the Baptist was saying 
That he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and when he's coming, he's going to judge. So John the Baptist was saying that, number one, he knew that he was walking in the fulfillment of this ministry to prepare the way of the Lord. But then John the Baptist was saying to himself, it seems to me that if the Lord comes, then the rest of Malachi 3 is also going to take into effect. And if the rest of Malachi 3 also takes into effect, that means the world is coming to an end. And if the world is coming to an end, and if the Lord is coming back, that means you must be baptized and you must repent right now, right here. This is what John the baptizer was saying. But the baptism of Jesus advocates again what is a recognition what he has already accomplished in our hearts. So if you, again, have not been saved before you were baptized, then your, baptized do, your baptism does you no good. This is a public announcement, acknowledgement of all that Jesus has done on the cross for you and me. So we further identify through the baptism after we have placed faith in Jesus, we further identify ourselves not by the cross we wear around our neck, Amen. Not by the crosses we have dangling off of our earlobes or the crosses that we have silk screened onto the front or the rear of our shirts. No, 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 no. This immersion, again, is not the saving vehicle, but Christ is. Amen. So the people heard the call and they heeded the call. The response of the people to the call of John uh, to repentance was that all the people of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, that they were baptized. Oh, I hear you talking to me again. Uh, you're saying, wait a minute. So you're telling me scripture says, scripture says that everybody was baptized. Everybody was baptized. I know everybody was not baptized because some of those folks that was around Jesus, those were the very same folks who crucified Jesus. So if the scripture says that everybody was baptized and some folks who were there crucified Jesus, that tells me that there is an error. No, no, no. It's, it's the way that we talk as people. Amen? Amen? We have conversations like this. As an example, right? Let's say you wake up one morning, right, and you need to go, let's say, downtown. And uh, you hear on the news that they immediately say that all the roads are congested leading into downtown. Right? All the roads are congested leading into downtown. Are you to assume that every single road, every expressway, every side street, every single alley is completely backed up going into downtown? No, we don't believe that. We say that there are certain major arterial ways that may be jammed up, but not every single one. So when we hear the announcement that all is congested leading into downtown, that does not mean all. In this case, there is a whole, a thinking of a whole which has a few in mind and could be a sampling of many. Therefore, people from uh, every part of 
and that's the language, every part of Judea and Jerusalem were coming to repent and be baptized. So there was a selection of people. Some people came, uh, some people came from Bethlehem. Some people came from Hebron. Some people came from Emmaus, right? Some people came from Beersheba. It wasn't everybody, uh, but scripture says that everybody was being saved. It was just taking a quick snapshot. People were coming from all over the place to be baptized. It is also significant that they were being baptized in the Jordan River. Did you get that verse 5? You see that? Look at that. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him. Where? In the who? who? In the river Jordan. Remember now. It is the Jordan River that the Israelites needed to cross in order to take possession of their land. You remember that? Uh, we remember they crossed the Red Sea to flee the Egyptians, but th then once they made it up north, they had to cross the Jordan River to make it over. So if they wanted finally to live at peace and be at rest, they had to cross the Jordan River. That crossing would not be possible unless the Lord first made a way through the river to get to that place of rest. Hear what I said? Remember how the priests, they had to go and they had to stand in the water. And when they stood in the water, uh, that water began to back up and the entire ground began to dry up. So all these hundreds of thousands of people could cross from one place to the next place on dry ground. So again, God is saying here that with the Jordan River, the Israelites, that they finally were able to walk in that place of peace. Some of you know where I'm going with this now. Come on. So John the Baptist is saying, come on now, be baptized in the Jordan River because this is the place where your forefathers receive their redemption and they receive their, their peace in the Lord as they cross over. So now he says, as you repent before the Lord, as you are baptized, now you will also receive peace. This is what we see here in Scripture. Amen. Amen. Many of you have seen the salvation of the Lord Jesus. God has allowed you to cross the rivers of death, the rivers of trouble, the rivers of stress, uh, into the land of his promised relationship and eternal living. Much like the Israelites, you cross with no problem but now there's trouble in the land of your heart. As you think that the very power that was able to get you there is no longer able to keep you there. But God says that I who rescued you, I am the same person who will keep you. So we never have to fret. We never have to worry uh, uh, because he who rescued us also created us with his very words. So if you know Christ, you know he has you in his hands. For with Jesus, you are in good hands.
So now John the Baptist, he baptizes people, and that dunk in the water indicated repentance and true submission, but many of the leaders of, of Judah rejected that. They didn't want nothing to do with that. Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to him, to them, you brood of vipers, you, you snakes. Have you ever seen any people, you just wanted to call them a bunch of snakes? I know some of you want to call them something else, but God's blessing be upon you and hold your tongue in Jesus' name. So uh, John the Baptist sees uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming and he says, you, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, John, he knew it, that the fact that he would announce the one that had come, he was saying that there is judgment coming upon the earth. So you Pharisees and you Sadducees, you scribes and anyone else in between, why are you coming? Seems to me that John didn't want them to be baptized. Doesn't it seem like that? Uh, verse 8, please, in Matthew chapter 3, he tells them, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. See, now he's, he, he's pointing at their heart. He's pointing at their heart because he knows what's on their hearts. He's saying that the fruit that you're currently bearing is not consistent with the righteousness of God. Verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, here in Matthew, we see John speaking of the future judgment of God. But then he speaks to, of those leaders who reject his baptism because they would fall back on what I would call the Abrahamic excuse. The Abrahamic excuse. And basically, the Abrahamic excuse is the reasoning that one has in their heads that, uh, that they don't need to engage in this spiritual process that John the Baptist and ultimately even Jesus Christ would, prevent, would present to them. They would use the Abrahamic excuse. You see, the bottom line for most of us, we would use any excuse we can not to engage in the spiritual process. You may not have the Abrahamic excuse, but what's yours? But you see, the problem for them is that even Abraham pointed to Jesus. So they're saying, we don't need this Jesus. We don't need this baptism by John the baptizer. We don't need any of that because we have Abraham. And then if they really knew God, they would look at Abraham. And Abraham would look at them and say, he would say, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Y'all better look at Jesus. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Don't be looking at me. You better look at Jesus. Abraham was saying this over and over again, but they couldn't hear because their hearts were of stone and not of flesh. They were not coming to be baptized. They were coming to criticize. Some people come to church today not to worship but to compare. These Jewish leaders wanted to find fault with John in order to shut him down. They wanted to make sure their ways, traditions, and opinions were securely protected into the future for them. This is why we all uh, must be careful not to become spectators on this spiritual journey uh, because spectators become critics and critics become destructive. 
If we don't engage in spiritual worship, we disengage. Critics disengage. The Pharisees, the Sadducees disengaged. They became destructive. Verse 6 here in Mark 1. John is described as one who's descended in the line of prophets. We see that, that uh, he didn't have fine clothes, camels here, leather belts. And no, it was not one that he, uh, he found at Macy's or wherever you buy your clothes. There's probably a cow hanging around somewhere, and he probably skinned that bad fellow and made himself a, a belt. You know, he couldn't just go and, and find wares so easily as we do today. In some cases, they did have markets, so it's very possible. But when we look at the total description, why would you, how many of you want to wear clothes made of camel's hair? Maybe it's soft. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. How many of you want to eat grasshoppers? Yum. You see, John, he had no time. He didn't have time to go shopping. God called him. All he could do was go forth with what he had. He had no time to waste. There was nothing to hold him back, and neither would he slow down the process. All of these things indicate the urgency for which he needed to forge ahead when he was called to prepare the way of the Lord. Finally, his message in verses 7 and 8, it points to one mighty, one holy, and one who is wielding the Holy Spirit, verse 7. And he preached saying, here it is, here it is. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was saying that I, I, I am not even worthy to, he says, I'm not worthy to stoop down. I'm not worthy to luo, right? I'm not worthy to, uh, to loose the sandals of the one who's coming after me. In Japanese culture, Chinese culture as well, that one of the things that, that they would do, Pastor Scott, if I could use you right quick, come on. When you would come into the presence, if, if you were just friends and you greet each other, you can just bow down. Let's just gently bow down. Look at me in the eye, though, because remember what Bruce Lee said. Never keep, take your eyes off your opponent, right? All right? Just bow down very gently. Okay, right, right? You ought to see how he looks up here. Y'all need to pray for him. Amen. <laughs> Right, so this is the way it typically was, but when you come into the presence of like a president or a prime minister or something of that nature, and you were just a regular old peon like I am, you would come down and you would bow down like this. And they would look at you and either nod their head, but the lower you are in, in, in status, the further you bow down. Thank you, brother. John the Baptist said that regardless of how low I get, I am unworthy. Even if I were to dig a hole and put myself in a hole to bow down for the one who's mightier, who's coming after me, he says, I am not worthy. We are not worthy to receive God's grace. We are not worthy to be called his disciples. We are not worthy to breathe God's air. We are not worthy to worship him. 
We don't deserve anything that we have. So when we think of John the Baptist coming into the presence or about to come into the presence, one who is mightier than him, who's wielding the Holy Spirit, we ourselves are humbled. And we realize that we are not worthy of this great grace that has been shed upon us. It is interesting that John in his ministry was concerned about getting people to a place where they knew the Lord. He didn't care. It's very interesting that God called him, right? But he didn't say, the first thing I need to do in order to get this message across is I need to go build a building. Do you see that? This shook me up. He didn't say, well, first thing I need to do, I need to gather around me like a whole bunch of people to go forth. He didn't say that, did he? Yeah, you see any of that stuff. God called him, and then what did he do? Let's try it again. God called him, so then what did he do afterwards? He went. He didn't try to build anything to himself. He went out to do what God called him to do because he knew that he was preparing the way for the Lord. When we sense the judgment of God drawing near, we shed all the niceties to go straight for the truth and the condition of people's heart. In that light, the bottom line, we must consider our place in the world. A place to promote the gospel. So in a lot of ways, we're just like John the Baptist. We are not John the Baptist. But in a lot of ways, we're just like John the Baptist. Because everywhere that you are, everything that you do, guess what? You are preparing the way for the Lord. But there are people out here who are waiting on you. Oh yeah, there are going to be a bunch of people who want to kill you and a, a lot of folks who don't care. Yet, we have a message. Jesus is coming soon, is what we must tell the world, and they need to believe, confess, and repent before he arrives. All of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior should also be preparing the way of the Lord as a voice crying in the wilderness. Let's pray.